First question, what do you like best about the church? 89, fellowshipping. Fellowship, okay. I like the love that we bind together. Okay. But I also pray that we would be really open to one another, realize that we are brothers and sisters, you know, but I truly love Church and I love my Sunday school club. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> okay. I love my Sunday school club. Okay, anybody else? Location. Location? Yeah. <laughs> you learn more and more about who God really is. Okay, learning more and more about who God really is. Okay, anybody else? I like the teaching. The teaching. All right, some people don't go to church for the teaching, some people go to church for the emotionalism. Okay. Huh? And to take part. Okay, participation uh, in the church. It's my family. It's the family. Yes. All right. Well, it's a praying family. It's a praying family. Okay. All right. Anybody else? I'm trying to love all of people. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a task. Eh? Oh, yes, it's a challenge. <laughs> But he's working on me. Okay, that's the church locally. What do you like about the church universally? Church universal. Wherever you go in the world, you find people who make up the incredible body of Christ. What do you like about that part of the church? But you know, it brings joy because I really like, I'm out to the market. <laughs> I like, sometimes people come around and say, I can see. Okay, identification. The church, the church, universally, um, strengthen your That's right. confidence that God is true and He is real and okay. He is all over the world. All right. Good. As declared in His Word. All right. Okay. Anybody else? It's like being in dark night and you have a very small light that you can see in a difference. A Christian sees another Christian without asking any questions. That's right. yes. Identification. Yeah. You know who you are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's look at Bible Meets Life on page 90. The point. I love and serve Christ when I love and serve his body, the church. The Bible meets life. It was like standing at a fork in the road, except the road went in a dozen directions. I was preparing to graduate from college and was terrified because I had no idea what to do for the rest of my life. And that was because I had no real idea about who I was up to that point in my life. Throughout my 16-year educational journey, I had learned a lot of things about other people, but almost nothing about myself. All that changed when I found my identity in Christ. When I came to Christ, I came to His body, the church. My identity in Christ is wrapped up in my identity with other believers. That's true of all who follow Christ. We find who we are in Christ and we live out that identity through our involvement with other Christians. As we explore an important passage from 1 Peter 4 in this, in this session, 
you'll see that no love, and you'll see that to love and serve the body of Christ is to love and serve the head of that body, Christ himself. Okay, and what's the point? I love and serve Christ when I love and serve his body, the church. Boy, what's going on up there? <laughs> I think they're probably playing musical jazz. Okay, I love and serve Christ when I do what? Love and serve his body, the church. So how do we how do we show that we love the church? By serving. By serving the body, the church. Not just serving one another. Anybody have a problem of servitude? Serving others? Doing for others? If you do, then you have a problem in serving Christ. Okay, let's look at some passages then that we have before us. The first one is just one verse, and that's verse 7. First uh, Peter 4, 7. What does it say? The end of all things is there. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Be alert and sober-minded to prayer. The end of all things. Notice that phrase. The end of all things. <coughs> When we look at uh, um, the New Testament writers describe the times following Jesus' resurrection and ascension as the last days. And those, that is the anticipation of Jesus' return. In verse 7, we note that Peter's declaration, the end of all things is near, may sound strange. Uh, to modern people today or modern readers today. Since Peter wrote this almost 2,000 years ago, people are still saying it today. So for some people it sounds strange. Some people say you probably sound like a scorched record uh, because you keep saying it. Two ideas re require attention. First, in his next letter, Peter would remind his readers the Lord's timetable differed from theirs. <coughs> As he said, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Second Peter 3.8. When we understand that God reigns from eternity to eternity, according to Psalm 92, 90 and verse 2, we better understand Peter's mindset when he makes that statement that one day is just a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Uh, because God reigns from eternity to eternity. The second thing we note is that the New Testament writers saw the resurrection and ascension of Christ as the beginning of the last days. On the day of Pentecost, Peter also informed his listeners. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 verse 17. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So the coming of the Holy Spirit comprised the last major step in God's plan before he would send his son to return and fulfill his kingdom. Other New Testament writers used similar words to express this concept. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 says, These things happen to them as examples for us 
They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And then 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. And so the Lord Jesus was, was coming soon, and every day was drawing his coming closer and closer and closer. And we see that today, don't we? Yes. As we go through our days and our weeks and our months, we are reminded by the signs of the times where Jesus is coming soon. Sometimes, sometimes you see something happen or you hear something happen, and the first thought that comes to mind, boy, Jesus has got to be coming soon. You know, we make that statement, don't we? Yes. Because we see things happen and it's so unusual. Okay, notice uh, the paragraph beneath that verse 7. Read that. Uh, what I notice here is that we have a lot of scripture references say see. And if they say see, it will be best if like everybody get notice it and each person find one so that when we check. Okay. I have the first one. Yep. one yes. Find it and hold it. What I'm saying is each person buys and you um, get to the ones that you can use that is hanging around. Mm -hmm. Is it understood? Yes. yes. Okay. Well understood. If we are connected to Christ, we also are connected to other believers. Scripture describes the church in several ways, the body of Christ. Now I have the first one, so the first one is all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And the family of the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Revelation 1979. Let's be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fair linen, clean and bright, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. I am the family of God. Ephesians 2.19 so then, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay. All of these words, pictures, convey a key to about the church. We need to work together. In our scripture focus, Peter began by telling believers that the end of all things is near. This end refers to the end of time when all humanity would stand before Jesus. Revelation 20, 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. The last days were inaugurated by the death, of, the death and resurrection of Christ. The New Testament fre frequently referred to this period between his first and second coming as the last days. Okay, Romans 13, 11 to 12. 
Okay, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we have we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another and toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Considering the brevity of our time, Peter identified three ways believers can serve one another, and therefore spreading the church. First, we are told to be alert and sober, minded for prayer. As a spiritual family, we hold on to each other and hold each other up through prayer. As a pastor, I can't tell you how important this is for me. I need the prayers of other believers, and so do you. Jesus didn't save us so that each of us could be an only child. He called us to love both him and his family. If he loved the church, the family of God, we will pray for our members. By praying for the church, we are saving other believers. Prayer is dependence on God. And then we take the, take the lives of others before God, God's throne of grace. Mm-hmm. We are laying their needs before the one who loves, cares, and fully meets their needs. Mm-hmm. Part of discovering who we are is discovering that God made us to be prayer warriors. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. All believers have a direct connection to God because of our faith in Jesus. Let's use that connection to bless the church with prayer. Okay. All believers have a direct connection. You see that? Notice the final two paragraphs there. Jesus didn't save us so that each of us could be an only child. But we behave that way sometimes, right? He called us to love both him and his family. If we love the church, the family of God, we will pray for our members. By praying for the church, we are serving other believers. Prayer is dependence on God. And when we take the lives of others before God's throne of grace, we are laying their needs before God. The one who loves cares and can fully meet their needs. You may not be able to meet their needs, but God can. And so you take those needs before the Lord. Part of discovering who we are is discovering that God made us to be prayer warriors. All believers have a what? Direct connection 
You know what a direct line is, right? Yes. You pick up the phone and the only person that phone that, that, that call goes to is that specific person. Yes. And that's what we have with God, a direct connection to God because of our faith in Jesus. Let's use that connection to bless the church with prayer. Okay. Before you go any further, let me be quite clear that the Lord Jesus Christ does not have a secretary. That's right. So therefore, when you put up the phone, you speak to him, you speak to him directly. Directly, exactly. You know, secretary, you know I'm the receptionist. There's no receptionist in heaven, you know. There's no front desk in heaven. There's no recording. <laughs> no recorded man. Okay. And you don't and you don't get that all tickets are busy now. Yeah. Remember that? So it's it's important that we remember that. We have a direct connection to God. The Heavenly Father. Question number two. When have you seen prayer make an impact in the lives of others? Death. Hmm? It has in my life. Huh? Death? No, prayer. Prayers. I say direct. It, it, it's the most amazing. And it sounds very unorthodox perhaps, but unless you've been there, you really would not have any concept of it. It's the prayers that even that you are not here, I know when I was not able to move, when I say move, I mean move, I felt the presence of God at all times because I knew within myself that there were other people who was praying for me. Mm -hmm. Although I myself was not here in present, but yet I was present here in the spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, anybody else? But sometimes you don't even know how your prayer impacts other people. Because years ago, a member of our Wednesday morning class, she was in our Sunday school club, in our Wednesday group. And she came to the market yesterday. Don't ask me because I She said she's coming back in September. And Marilyn told her she was in my class, and she said, "Oh, Sister Brenda, I'm so glad I'm coming back." <laughs> so you never know, even in in Marilyn in in Sunday school, and uh, she said, "I did. I was impacting her life, so I do know." But people know. You have to tell me how I impact your life, my friends. Yeah, so we know we know that prayer impacts the lives of others sometimes in monumental ways. Okay, Peter started his practical instruction by asking church members to pray for one another. As we move to verses 8 to 9, we'll find additional ways to love and serve each other as a church. So let's look at those verses. Uh, read verses 8 to 9 of 1 Peter chapter 4 on page 92, please. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Okay. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. See that word, hospitable? Mm -hmm. Hospitable people provided food. Hospitable people provided shelter. Mm -hmm. Hospitable people provided protection for their guests. Mm 
for the early Christians, practice in hospitality was a natural extension of the practice of brotherly love. You see, in those days, they didn't have hotels and motels and, and uh, guest houses and stuff. So uh, hospitality was totally dependent upon believers to provide those things to uh, one another. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. That's right. I remember growing up as a child with my aunt. Um, she was a pastor wife, and when they have guests come over like missionaries, I had to go to the shop to buy the food, I had to tote the water for them to bathe, I had to do everything as a child. So I know a lot about that. Hospitality, all right. <laughs> Brother Randy, years ago, when the visiting pastors used to come here to the islands, there was a common factor that these visiting pastors, there were people in line who was waiting to accommodate these people that they can stay in their homes. Mm -hmm. But I don't know whether I get in older or whatever the case may be, but we don't hear <laughs> about, yeah. or see about those things any longer. No. Mm -hmm. Apparently they prefer to stay more on resort life mm -hmm. than is to stay in their homes. Yeah. That used to be a common practice mm here -hmm. for years and for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so in verse 8, Peter, Peter, Peter commanded, he didn't suggest, he commanded uh, his readers, and that include us, to, to, to maintain constant love for one another. Maintain it. You know what I mean? To maintain something, do whatever it is to make sure it doesn't go away. Okay, maintain one another. The word translated love is agape. We know that. We've heard it so many times, right? It designates a decision of the will rather than emotion. A decision of the will rather than emotion. You see, emotions come and go. The will is, far, is much more firm. Today's world often defines love in terms of feelings or emotions. And love can include those things. However, at its core, biblical love is characterized by self-denying commitment. That's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated when he went to the cross. Self-denying commitment. Regardless of all the punishment uh, that he went through, his love was resolute. It did not change. The Apostle Paul affirmed this truth in 1 Corinthians 13. The Corinthian church had many questions about spiritual gifts. And Paul affirmed their importance. Nonetheless, he highlighted that love surpassed all of those gifts. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. It says, If I speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. 
But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. In fact, he affirmed that one day all the gifts will pass away, but love would go on forever. Love unifies the church in a way gifts can never do. Love is what binds the church together. What is that song that we sing? Bind us together in love? True words. Yeah, how we get a good it's something we, we don't like to do. And only thing how we can do this, Scary, so you can love and overcome evil with good. That's the answer to all this question today. No matter what happens, do good. And yeah. that's the difficulty we have. You, we have been given the world, we're tit for that. But it's uh, overcome evil with good. And that's the answer. Okay, let's read the power of beneath verses 8 and 9. Even the best marriages, where two people love each other more than anything else, conflict happens. It's inevitable. Conflict also happens in the church. And just like in a marriage, Christians are called to respond to that conflict with love. Peter has already told us that, in light of the end of all things, we should pray. For the same reason, the second way Peter taught us to serve our spiritual family was to be filled with a deep love for each other. This is the selfless, benevolent, agape love or affection that God bestows on his people. Such love isn't automatic or easy. It takes work to maintain love in any relationship. Life among believers is no different, which is why Peter wrote, above all, maintain constant love for each other. When we look to maintain love for each other, that love covers a multitude of sins. Peter wasn't writing about our sins toward God. Our faith in Jesus Christ covers those. Instead, Peter was referring to the offenses we commit, we commit against, against each other. My love for others leads me to overlook their offenses against me. Love leads us to move past the hurt and see beyond one another's faults. The church isn't filled with perfect people. Therefore, it must be filled with God's perfect love. Peter gave us a picture of what love should look like. In doing so, he described the third way we are to serve our spiritual family. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. To be hospitable means to be kind and welcoming to people. This is to be a hallmark of the Christian community, otherwise known as the church. Peter wasn't the first to elevate the importance of hospitality in the New Testament. Peter called all Christians to pursue hospitality. Peter called all Christians to pursue hospital hospitality in Romans 12 and 13, and he listed hospitality among the defining traits of Christian leaders. Okay, let's have someone read 1 Timothy 3 2, and then Titus 1 8. Anybody got first Timothy yet? <laughs> okay, first Timothy, what is? 3-2. Three, two. Three, two. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must also enjoy having guests 
in his home, hospitality, and he must be able to teach. That's First Timothy 3, 2. Who of uh, Titus 1, 8? Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. Okay, so the key there is enjoy having guests in his home. Okay, read on. Such hospitality was especially significant in the early years of the church when lodging wasn't affordable for traveling Christians. The advance of the church's mission in sharing the gospel was greatly aided by believers who were willing to open their homes to travelers. It's one thing to share a home or share a meal. It's another thing to do it, to do it without grumbling. We can begrudge our own hospitality if we feel obligated to offer it. If, but, but if we strive to maintain an intense love for those who share our tables or lodge at our homes, we can be hospitable without complaining. Hospitality moves love away from an abstract truth. Indeed, hospitality is love in action. Okay, hospitality is love in action. Question number three. What are some ways love <laughs> What are some ways love covers damage done by sin? If I could find her loads. Say that again. By showing hospitality. What are some ways love covers the damage done by sin? If you just look back at the article, you saw the answers given there. It just do good. Continue to be hospitable. Continue to be hospitable. Notice uh, the notice the one, two, three, four, the five the fifth paragraph uh, on page what is it, page ninety-two? The fifth paragraph says when we work to maintain love for each other, that love covers multitude a multitude of sins. Peter wasn't writing about our sins toward God. Okay. So when we maintain the love for one another, we can overlook the hurts, the difficulties, the challenges that they caused in our lives because when we think of what God did for us and how much we hurt Him, then we can see past the hurts and the difficulties that others do for us. So that's one of the ways that we can see how love can cover the damage made by sin. Okay, a couple of points uh, uh, we note from the passage. Peter has already told us that in light of the end of things, we should pray. For the same reason, the second way Peter taught us to serve our spiritual family was to be filled with a deep love for each other. That's the first point we should keep in mind. The second point is, Peter gave us a picture of what love should look like. In doing so, he described a third way we should serve our spiritual family, be hospitable to one another without complaining. And the key there is without complaining. And then the third point is, hospitality moves love away from an abstract truth. Indeed, hospitality is love in action. Question number four, 
Why is hospitality an essential part of any church family? Love binds us together. It keeps us together. That's love. Hospitality. Why is hospitality an essential part of any church family? Because we each need one another. Okay. We each need one another. There's no malice. There's no malice. If I can serve you from the bottom of my heart, there is no malice into my heart. So therefore, by being malice, it's a very small or insignificant thing in life. It's a greater picture because God himself is love. Okay. But then hospitality is also love in action, isn't it? I think it's a team effort too, when everybody get together and make, you know, the ministry yeah. go more smoother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Work together as a team. Okay, last verses, 8 to 10. We'll explore the topic of spiritual gifts um, uh, and how they help us to serve one another in the church, in the church, in a practical way. So let's look at uh, those verses, those last two verses, uh, 8 to 11, 10 to 11. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's look at the verses beneath that. Have you ever wondered why God placed so many different kinds of people within the church? It's because he has given each different person a different set of gifts. Every person in the church is a gift who brings gifts to the body of Christ in order to make it stronger. We need all these members and their gifts and they need us. That's important. Christians know they need Jesus, but we sometimes fail to realize we need other Christians too. We weren't made just for ourselves. Rather, we were made to serve Christ by serving his body, the church. For that reason, we are called to use, you are called to use your gifts to serve the Lord and his church. The phrase, just as each one has received a gift, means you already have a gift from God. Each one who has trusted in Christ has received a spiritual gift, one that is purely a gift of God's grace. All of these gifts involve serving and helping others, which is why Peter categorized them by a general function of speaking or serving. When we review the other passages where spiritual gifts are listed, uh, we have a couple there, but our time is gone, so we won't be able to look at those. Each gift can be placed in one of these two categories. We don't use these gifts in our own power or for our own benefit. Rather, we do so as people dependent on God. We speak as one who speaks God's words, and we serve from the strength God provides. How has God gifted you? God will awaken you to these gifts by the power of his spirit, and he often uses two avenues. One, from others, 
Many times other believers will see your giftedness before you see it yourself. Christians around us will help us to discover how we can speak the truth and serve others. And then secondly, from action. God's giftedness may, may become clear not as we seek his gifts, but as we get our hands dirty and begin to serve. Every believer is called to service, but God will not enable the full potential of your gift until you surrender to him. He hasn't given us all the same gift, but he has called us all to the same service. Once you discover your identity as a servant of God in his church, you will understand so much more about who you are as a person and who you are meant to become. Question number five. What opportunities help you feel excited about using your gift to serve others? What opportunities? We have many of those, don't we? What opportunities help you to get excited about using your gift to save others? All the varied ministries of our church, family, they're widespread. There's something for everyone. It can be a, a yeah, it can be in a, you know, a small manner, but it's a big help. Or it could be in a more large capacity, but you know, so many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so many opportunities. And the, the key is whenever you have an opportunity to serve, do it. Don't complain about it. Do it whenever the opportunity, and you'll find that you'll become excited about something that you can really stick to. My At least hus- it worked for me. Yeah, Brother Randy, my husband often puts it this way. Try something, and if you uh, do it for an hour and it felt like five minutes, you're probably in the right place. And it, but on the other hand, if you try something for you know five minutes and it felt like an hour, you know it's probably not... Not for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so the point is, I love and serve Christ when I love and serve his body, the church. So we know we can demonstrate God's love by serving the church. Live it out. Page 96. We consider the following suggestions for loving and serving Christ through his church in the days to come. Pray. Make a commitment to pray each day. Prayer is simply talking to God. Pray for each. Pray for your church and those who lead it. Serve them by praying for them. We can all do that, right? And then practice hospitality. Identify a way you can show more love and kindness to people, to the people in your church, in your community, and in your family. Practice makes perfect, doesn't it? And then thirdly, identify others' gifts. Not your own, others. Every member in God's church is gifted, but many Christians don't see themselves that way. Encourage others by pointing out the gifts you see in them. Bless each other with a word of encouragement, a note, a phone call, and so on. And then finally, as we close, whether we have been a Christian for years or whether you recently discovered your identity in Christ, you have a vital connection to the church. Don't miss out on that incredible gift. Amen? Amen. So let's go out and practice those suggestions made there. Pray, practice hospitality, 
and identify the gifts that you see in other people, other believers. Amen? Yes.